What's up, guys? Excited to be here today with you guys. It is a, I'd like to say sunny, but it's not sunny. It's actually kind of cloudy, crappy, and overcast day here in Silicon Valley. Uh, Friday, last day of the week, kind of people are already thinking about, you know, the holidays, thinking about the weekend coming up. Um, those of us in entrepreneurship land are always thinking about what's next. What do we have to do? What can we do during the weekend? Should we take the weekend off? Should we actually work? There's always temptation to do a little bit of both. Always a temptation to actually do a lot more work, but that's obviously not necessarily the best in terms of disconnecting, which we know how important that is. Anyway, um, today's story is, in fact, a story. I'm going to take a different approach today. Uh, and you heard me talk about this on several different podcasts and several different videos. You know, I like to mix things up between interviews, life lessons, um, learnings from work and entrepreneurship land, etc., but uh, one of the things you're going to see me do on these podcasts and on these videos is you're going to see me for focus more and more of the content on kind of, you know, career transformation, life changes, life lessons, uh, both kind of my life lessons and what I've experienced, as well as kind of like life lessons and journeys of people that I'm going to be interviewing. Right. So um, I wanted to take you through a story, which uh, is something very, very personal and deep that happened to me back when I was a kid. Um, it's a really pretty intense story. Uh, it's not a story that I've ever shared publicly. Um, some of my close friends know it, but it's not something that I've ever done a podcast on or put on video or blogged about, unlike a lot of other things on my blog. Uh, but it's it's pretty amazing. And I think you will uh, you will enjoy it, be surprised by it, and hopefully some take some learnings from it. Uh, and so, you know, I like to call this story kind of like, you know, what I learned getting beaten up in Mexico City, um, which which sounds pretty hardcore. It sounds like something that you might find on Netflix. Uh, I assure you this is like 100% legit and totally real. So um, so what is this story like? Uh, you know, what 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 happened to me and when and how? So let's let's kind of like dive in and explore a little bit. Of this. So to provide some context, um, when I was growing up, my father was an expat. He uh, he worked for large uh, MNCs, multinational corporations. And so you know, as an executive in, in, in these uh, multinational corporations, every couple of years we would move around. And so we moved around a lot when I was a kid. I, I grew up as an only child and every couple of years we were moving from country to country. You know, so, you know, we we uh, I was born and raised in, in Belgium and then uh, we moved to the United States first and lived a couple of years in New Jersey. Then we moved back to uh, to Belgium when I was around seven years old, when I was um about uh, eight eight years old or so, we moved to Singapore out in Asia, and then uh, and then in 1980, actually totally dating myself. In 1980, uh, my father's company, he worked for Pepsi at the time. They moved us to Mexico, and so this whole story takes place in Mexico, and it was kind of like a pretty insane time in my life uh, that I want to share with you guys today and share kind of a little bit what I learned kind of going through this this ordeal in Mexico. So. I was about 10 years old, and in 1980, um, yeah, my father told us we we're going to move to Mexico. Um, so we moved the entire family, uh, myself, my parents, my dog, and I, over to uh, Mexico City uh, in the summer of 1980. Or actually, it wasn't the summer of 1980. It was the, the fall of, of 1980. And I started school in um, the Mexico City American School because every time I'd moved countries, I had always been in, in American schools, you know, and so... That's also, by the way, why I speak with an American accent and, you know, have such a kind of American personality, despite the fact that I'm Belgian originally. Um, and so, um, you know, we arrived in Mexico City in the fall and I went to school uh, at the American school uh, there to, to, to finish up the remainder of the year. 
And, you know, the unfortunate thing was it was the first time that I was in an American school where, like, you know, the, the school itself and the teachers and the quality of the teaching and, and the course coursework was really kind of like not up to the standard that I had been used to, you know, in, in, in years past in, in other countries where I had attended the American school. So in Singapore, I'd attended the American school. I'd attended the international school uh, in Brussels when I lived there before. And so we got to Mexico and I, and I get into the school. And of course, being the new kid there um, and, you know, the, the, the quality of the, the teachers, um, you know, the actual physical establishment of the school, the infrastructure, everything wasn't really, really good. Uh, and so I complained a lot, you know, and I tried to take extra coursework and I tried to find motivation. And I had tutors to kind of like get ahead in school and do different things. But by the end of the school year, my parents were kind of like really scratching their heads about like, you know, oh my God, you know, this we're really disappointed at the quality of the education here. It doesn't seem to make as much sense that, you know, Patrick continued to be in the school. Like, what are all our alternatives? And so over the course of the summer, you know, my parents began to look at different options and they spoke to people at my father's company about, you know, what are the different schools that he can attend? And the conclusion that they came to was basically at that time, there weren't really any other um, English uh, speaking schools that were really up to the standards that my parents had. Uh, they couldn't really find anything that that was, you know, good enough. And of course, you know, I didn't speak German, so I couldn't attend the German school. And my French was really, really rudimentary. So it was, um, even though I, I, I spoke it, I, you know, I couldn't write it, et cetera. And, um, and so through, by looking at different schools, my, my, my mother came across this, this really very, very well uh, reputed school called, called Padres Irlandes, which, which in Spanish means, um, uh, Irish fathers, right? And it was a Catholic uh, Jesuit school, as you can imagine. Um, but, you know, the entire curriculum was taught in Spanish. Like, basically, the entire curriculum was in Spanish. All the kids there were Mexican, you know, from actually from Mexican aristocracy, like really wealthy kids. And there were basically no foreigners at that school, although some of the, some of the priests who taught class there were, were Irish, actually. So they were, they were foreigners. And so my parents made the decision to put me in the school and I was, you know, 10 years old. So going into the equivalent of fifth grade at the time. And um, well, as you can imagine, the first problem was I didn't speak the freaking language. Right. So it was like, well, you're starting school in the fall in September. Uh, it's June. Um, you got to figure out the language piece. So right there already, you know, as if kind of being an only child and moving into an entirely new country, having to make all your friends all over again, moving into a new culture and everything else into a new city isn't enough. All of a sudden I'm thrown into this situation where it's like, well, great, here's the deal. You're going to this school and you have three months to learn Spanish. All right. Um, and for any of you who have learned a language or taken language classes and know how hard it is, um, it's pretty brutal to be a 10 year old kid and be told, you know, you're going to spend your entire summer uh, learning a language. And that's what I did for the next three months until September. Um, basically, I was with a tutor. I still remember what he looks like. I don't remember his name, but I still remember him very vividly because I spent eight hours a day, five days a week with a tutor learning Spanish. And so every single day I was kind of like cranking through these like Spanish grammar books. And I still remember them. They were like these blue books about this thick. And every single day I was going through um, one of these books and there were a couple of hundred pages each. I think I did five of them in three months. And this tutor was kind of like teaching me the language and taking me through tests and exercises. 
and I didn't really have much of a life outside of that. You know, I didn't really, I just moved there. So I didn't really have any new friends. We lived in a neighborhood, which was like one of the upper class neighborhoods in Mexico city called Bosques de las Lomas for any of you who are familiar with Mexico city. Uh, and so you lived in, you know, these, these, these huge gated kind of like houses, um, you know, that had like 10 foot tall walls. I can still remember that they had 10 foot tall walls with like glass shards and stuff cemented on the top to keep people out. Um, and most of the people in the street had guards. So it's kind of like really intense place to live and, and feeling very isolated. And so there I am kind of 10 years old, kind of like no real summer vacation for me, eight hours a day, hardcore Spanish class. Um, long story short, by the end of the summer, I had a fairly good mastery of the language. Uh, as you can imagine. And I was fortunate enough to be um, kind of like one of these right brain, more creative types that are into languages. So I, um, I picked it up fairly quickly. And by the time I started in the fall, I could, I could get by in Spanish. Um, that did not prepare me for what was to come, which was, you know, being immersed in a fully Mexican Spanish speaking school and being the only foreigner in that school. And I still remember kind of like going to school the first day and everything and everybody was wearing these uniforms and I was the only foreigner and I spoke the language, but I was obviously, you know, my level of security was or confidence, I should say, was not super stellar. Right. I was kind of like struggling. I would make mistakes in class. Um, and even though the teachers looked out for me, I mean, as you can imagine, as a 10 year old, you know, I was I was picked on and kind of made fun of quite a lot, you know, during that time period. And it was tough. I mean, you know, I was adjusting to this new school, to this new language. Uh, I was in class, you know, all day. The first half of the day was kind of like all in Spanish. So all my subjects were in Spanish, history, geography, obviously Spanish grammar was in Spanish, duh. Um, and a few other courses were in Spanish. And then the second half of the day after lunch around one, from one to like three was English. And there we basically were doing science and we were doing English. And of course, that was all in English, but um, the first half of the day was really, really tough for me. And so as a kid, I was struggling because not only was I learning all these all this new material, like, you know, um, pre-algebra or whatever it was that I was taking at the time, trig or something, no, not, not trig, probably like geometry, I guess. Uh, I was learning, you know, math and I was learning history and geography. Well, it was all in Spanish. I was starting taking notes in a different language, taking tests in a different language. And it was really, really hard. And um, on top of the subject matter and trying to learn the language, I had difficulties with the other kids, you know, as you can imagine. And I remember getting picked on a lot in, in class. I remember um, getting into arguments with kids. I remember getting into fights with other kids. You know, you go onto the playground and, you know, you're the, the gringo, right? The gringo, the gringo. And, um, after months of this, I remember one day I'd had enough and this, like this kid called Mario was picking on me. I still remember him. Like it was yesterday. He was like actually really pale skinned, like short blonde hair, a little bit pudgy. And he was just picking on me and being a complete like jerk off. And, and I was like, that's it, man. I may be the gringo, but I'm going to take you on. And like, let's go outside right now. And at recess, it's just you and me and all this stuff. Right. And I was not a natural fighter. I was... I was scrawny. I was like not very strong. I had no experience fighting, like no idea what I was doing, but I was determined to push back. And so I remember, you know, all the kids, of course, you know, we went out of the playground and formed this big circle around us and everybody was like, fight, fight, fight in Spanish. Right. And um, 
And I remember feeling very brave and excited about the fact that I challenged this guy uh, to fight. And then as soon as I got on the playground and put my, my, my hands up and started kind of like pretending, um, I started just getting the shit beat out of me. Right. I mean, I, this guy was just like jabbing and I was like a deer in headlights. I just kept getting hit in the face and hit in the body and didn't know what the heck I was doing. And, you know, long story short, um, I ended up in the principal's office, uh, which kind of like became a regular routine for me, uh, sobbing. And then my mom was called in and, um, and that was kind of like a large part of what my year was like. And it was so bad that I remember every morning, you know, oftentimes, um, my parents couldn't take me to school. My father was working, my mother was busy. And so oftentimes our, uh, we had a guard, we had an armed guard, uh, who also kind of doubled as a driver, you know, and when you're, when you're an expat kid, oftentimes the executives, you know, they have drivers and guards and stuff. And so I had a, a the driver, I think his name was Roberto and he would drive me to school every day. And I remember that every single day he would drive me in his car and I was crying. I was like in the front seat and I was crying and I was like, I don't want to go to school. Don't make me do this again. I don't want to get picked on. I want to get into more fights. And, um, and I would solve my way into school every day. And it was probably one of the most difficult times of my life. And it was something that even though I was only in that school for about a year, um, and then, you know, uh, time goes really, really quickly. I, uh, it was one of the toughest years of my life. It was like, there were days where I just didn't want to get out of bed and, I spent all my days kind of like studying and getting picked on and getting into fights. And in the evening, you know, I remember getting home and I remember having to do my homework with a dictionary right next to me because there were so many words still that I didn't know. And so half the time that I was spent studying, it was actually translating my homework to try and understand what the hell I was doing. And so I was like, work, 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 go to school, get picked on, get into fights, get into arguments, try and figure stuff out. And, um, and it was really brutal. But the point of the story and the point I'm sharing this with you guys, because um, there's a moral to all this, is by the end of the year, things had dramatically changed for me. Um, I think, you know, my my Mexican classmates had recognized, you know, with some degree of grudging respect that I was not going to leave school, that I was not going to give up, that I was still going to be in class. And my proficiency with the language got better. My grades got better. I started to get into the groove of things. Um, obviously I would totally dominate everybody else in English class because, Hey, I mean, I was native English speaker, right? So, so something was going well. And then, um, you know, by the end of the school year, I, I started making a couple of friends here and there. And I'll never forget when I, when I kind of graduated from, um, that class at the end of the year, they had this big ceremony where all the parents are invited and they, uh, call up all the students' names and they give them kind of like a diploma for graduating that particular grade as part of that, they award these medals, uh, physical medals that they would pin on your school jacket. And um, and they had like a medal for math and they had a medal for history and a medal for this and a medal for that. And, uh, and to my shock and disbelief, I was sitting there with my classmates, kind of like listening to the names of the people getting called up for medals. And, um, and my name was called out and I was given the medal of effort. Uh, La medalla del esfuerzo. I'll never forget that. I still have it somewhere uh, for having been through a really grueling year as a 10 year old. I was giving the medal of effort, which was pretty amazing. And uh, and I got a lot of claps and kudos for that, even from some of the Mexicans who'd beat me up. <laughs> 
And then I won a second medal, uh, more predictably, this was the medal for English, you know, ha ha, right? So I was the best, I was the best uh, student in the English class. And so, um, and so I won a, an English, you know, a medal for English. Um, and then, you know, to top things off in that year, you know, it's kind of like it was my birthday and I invited a whole bunch of my classmates, even the ones that I didn't like and got into fights. I invited them all to a birthday party at my house. And then when we did, you know, this birthday party, my mother had had the, she had commissioned this cake, which was like a miniature version of E.T. Uh, this was back in the you know early 80s, right? 1980, where like the E.T. movie had just come out. So she commissioned this cake that looked like E.T., like the full body. And they had these arms like, you know, pointing out on the big head and everything. And um, and I'll never forget it. You know, like I, I one of the Mexican kids leans in at me when I'm about to cut the cake. And he's like, no, here in Mexico, the custom is that actually the host takes a bite of the cake. Uh, and I was like, uh, okay, yeah, that's fine. And so I lean in to take a bite of the cake and the kid just like pushes my, my face right into the cake. Right. And I get like all this cake all over the place. Um, and it was like good natured fun, good natured fun. Right. And we all laughed about it. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of that year, you know, I had survived a really intense year in school. I had mastered Spanish. I had passed my grades of flying colors. I had won these medals and I had won the respect of these Mexican kids. And, uh, and it was an insane experience. And like I said, it's not, it's not something I've ever shared publicly. And I figured I would share it with you guys because I learned so much from it. And, um, and so many people who are like, you know, watching this video or listening to this podcast, so many people that I talk to, particularly here in Silicon Valley, you know, we all struggle, right? The reality is kind of like, you know, as, as, as Buddha said, you know, life is a struggle, right? Life is difficult. Uh, it's not a cakewalk, right? No pun intended to the cake thing, but, um, you know, life is a challenge. Life is a struggle. And, and the, the thing that you realize is kind of like, that's kind of like what makes it worth it. Right. Some of you guys may have listened to my podcast a few weeks ago on the century ride that I did. Right. And, and motivation. And it's the experiences like this one that not only make life worth living, but they teach us what we're able to accomplish when we step outside of our comfort zone, right? And, you know, we all have things we would love to do. We all have things that we dream of doing. And if you're a human being, some of those things scare you shitless, right? You're like, I'd love to do this, but I just don't know how to do it, right? I, I would love to be a, a public speaker, but I have stage fright. I would love to start my own company, but I'm terrified of the financial implications, I would love to get into a deep, you know, meaningful relationship with somebody, but I'm afraid of commitment or I've been hurt in the past. And so, you know, what I learned from from this entire experience was, first of all, kind of like the value as a young kid of being thrust into this zone of discomfort and experiencing that and having to survive and make the best of it. Right. And kind of like what you are able to build, you know, internally as a result of that process, right? And kind of it's, you know, it was a real character building experience. Like my father always talked about character building experiences, right? That was a character building experience. You know, you you get toughened up. And so when he walked into my my room, you know, one day several weeks after school finished, and he said, hey, guess what? We have news. We're moving to Brazil. And I was like, holy shit, it's going to start all over again, right? I get to go to another country and learn another language and deal with all sorts of other kids. And that's that's a different story. That that story was actually much, much smoother than the Mexican one. Um, 
but you know you are you are able to face things and deal with challenges that you would not be able to deal with right and I don't know how many of you guys out there watch uh, on YouTube. There's a great uh, channel called Impact Theory, which is where this guy kind of interviews, um, you know, pe people, who, famous people who have done, you know, crazy, incredible things like entrepreneurs and authors and celebrities. And, you know, they all say the same, right? It's kind of like dealing with adversity. It's like you're training a muscle, right? And the more you train that muscle, the more you can deal with uncertainty, right? And the problem for most people is most people are terrified of uncertainty, not so much because of the uncertainty itself, but because of the fact that they're not used to being outside of their comfort zone. And when I was at Google, you know, one of the things I think Larry Page used to say was, you know, to be uh, comfortably uncomfortable, right? To be comfortable with the fact that you're in an uncomfortable situation, because that's where the growth comes from, right? That's where the uncertainty comes from. It's kind of like, when you do things that you're not certain about, when you do things that are a stretch for you, that's where you get the growth, right? Um, I think the second thing I learned was, you know, the value of appreciation, right? And I talk about that a lot in my other in my other podcasts. I, I've written a lot about that on my blog. You know, every single day when I get up in the morning after my bike ride and my like ice cold shower, I will sit and I will for 20 minutes, you know, free write, you know, in my diary. And the first thing I start my diary entries with is I talk about the five things I'm grateful for. And it can be anything, you know, you know, and, and this week, for example, I had some very painful news, which was, you know, a woman who used to work with me at, at, at a startup that I was at um, passed away from cancer. And I was shocked by that news because, you know, she was my age, a couple of years younger in her 40s. And all of a sudden, just like that, you know, this this wonderful woman that I'd worked with who, who I'd really enjoyed working with a lot, an amazing woman is just is just gone. And so kind of like when when I heard about that, you know, the next morning, I mean, the, in my diary, my, my, my entry was about being grateful for being alive, for being healthy, you know, for my kids being healthy, for my parents being healthy, right? So, you know, when you go through things like that, you, you really appreciate what you have, right? I appreciated the fact that I had this, this loving, supported family behind, behind me. I appreciated, you know, the priests who were there to kind of help me through the tough times and my teachers for dealing with all my crap and my drama, uh, I appreciated, you know, my bullying, you know, classmates for putting me through that, but also for the respect that they gave me when I was done. Right. So it was pretty amazing. Um, you know, third, I think, you know, the thing that's amazing is it really broadens your perspective. Right. So when you get to a, when you get to a point where you're able to do something like that, um, your perspective on life totally changes your perspective on what you can achieve and what you can accomplish, like just goes like this. Right. Um, you just have an appreciation for different cultures, um, different ways of doing things, different ways of doing business, different ways of doing education, um, different cultural nuances. And you appreciate that and you're kind of like it broadens your perspective and you get a fuller appreciation for what life is all about. And you get to understand people's point of view. Right. You know, I think the, the, the last thing that I'll say kind of like just wrapping up today is um you know, also when you go through situations like that, you learn a lot about, you know, emotional intelligence, right? You become incredibly self-aware of your feelings about what you can do, what you can't do. You have to learn about, you know, managing your emotions. Um, you know, I wanted to go ballistic every day. I wanted to get into fights every day. I wanted to cry every day or like scream in class. Um, and you learn how to manage those things and be aware of when they're happening. You learn to be more socially aware, you know, of what people are thinking, what they're feeling, how they're behaving, why they're behaving in certain ways. So in many ways, it was a school for me of kind of like building my emotional intelligence. So, um, 
you know, when I look back on it, sometimes people say, Jesus, you know, I mean, like most kids, you know, uh, would not go through that. And, and you'd be amazed at how resilient kids are to begin with. But I think we would also be amazed at how resilient human beings are in general. And we see this kind of like on YouTube and the news, you know, on Facebook and other places every day. People deal with incredible adversity and people get through it. Um, and it's like Nietzsche who said, you know, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Right. Um, so, you know, would I do it again? Yeah, I would do it again. You know, I kind of like say that half smilingly, grudgingly knowing what it was like. Um, you know, maybe I would do it minus minus the, the beating up and the, and the school recess fights. Um, but, you know, it, it's made me who I am today. And it's made me a, be able to take on these challenges and, you know, for example, say no to a career in marketing and, and working as a CMO in tech startups and now becoming you know, a full-time kind of like speaker and a full-time, um, you know, career coach and helping people transform their careers and doing stuff that they really love and that they're excited about, you know, that's kind of like giving me, that's part of who I am. And it's part of what's given me the courage to take on this new chapter in my life and try something totally different, which, you know, sometimes, you know, yeah, you look up and it's like scares the shit out of you. And you're like, oh my God, can I actually build this into a sustainable business? Can I actually make a living off of this? It's not easy, but anyway, um, so, yeah, that's the story of me getting beaten up in Mexico. And, uh, you know, there were some amazing lessons learned. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this video. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Um, you know, as always, kind of like feel free to leave me, you know, comments or questions or likes. You know, make sure that you subscribe to this channel. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast if you're listening to this on your phone um, or in one of the various different kind of like podcasting apps. Uh, it was an amazing experience. You know, I have many more stories to share about this. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, next week, I'm going to be interviewing a really, really cool guy who's actually the VP of marketing at Sonos, uh, Alan Mask. So stay tuned for that interview. That should be cool. Alan's an amazing guy. We're, we're going to have a great talk and he has some really interesting things to share. And uh, yeah, there's a couple of other videos that are coming up soon um, and podcasts where I'm going to be interviewing some other pretty remarkable folks. I will be tight lipped and not share who those people are, but they have incredible stories. So I hope you guys enjoyed this, guys. And um, you know, make sure that you subscribe to the various channels, like us, share us. Uh, and if you ever want to reach out, you can reach me um, at facebook.com slash madmorkstories. My blog is uh, madmork.com slash blog. And, uh, you know, if you are watching this video and interested in the podcasts, uh, you can find the podcast at anchor.fm slash madmork dash stories. Um, you know, and if you're listening to the podcast and want to catch the video, um, you know, just kind of like go into YouTube and, and uh, look for me, look for Mad Mork stories and you can get that content there. So I hope it was super useful. Thanks uh, for listening. And I will uh, catch you guys around some other time. I hope you're enjoying the rest of the summer. Take care. Bye.